Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk Podcast with Blackhawks Insider, Charlie Romeliotis. I am Pat Boyle. On this edition, we recap the Hawks road trip where they went two and one, or the big takeaways from that trip. A Dylan Strom's resurgence, 14 points in 14 games. What does that mean for his future in Chicago? Trade rumors about Brandon Hagel. What to make of that? We run down the six known general manager candidates and we take a look at the analytics before and after the coaching change was made on November 5th when Derek King replaced Jeremy Colleton. And late breaking news, Robin Leonard injured in Vegas. Could the Golden Knights be interested in bringing back Marc-Andre Fleury? It's all coming up next on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Well, Charlie, the Hawks go two and one on their road trip. They, they start off in Edmonton with a convincing 4-1 victory. Uh, they got worked by St. Louis on Saturday. I think they had a season low 16 shots on goal. And then they uh, wind up the road trip by uh, taking care of Winnipeg three to one. What did what did you take away from this three game road trip? Yeah, I thought it was kind of a little bit of a roller coaster of a road trip where they get a big win against the Edmonton Oilers, then they you know really have a clunker in St. Louis, and then bounce back um, and have a solid just overall road grinded out kind of victory in Winnipeg where there w- there really was no special team, so the Blackhawks were kind of forced to win that game at five on five and. It was kind of weird, you know, looking at the the Edmonton and St. Louis where where the Blackhawks had, um, you know, really solid first and third period, and then they really tailed off in the second. And then in St. Louis, they had a really bad first and third period, but they had a, a decent second. Um, so it was kind of just they put it all together um, in, in Winnipeg where they just kind of had a, a solid 60-minute effort where they weren't perfect. You know, they only had 24 shots on goal, which isn't great, but, um, you know, they got goaltending from Marc-Andre Fleury. Um, and they were just able to get some contributions to bring it Patrick Kane and then Brandon Hagel gets the empty net goal. So I think it was just a successful road trip and, you know, hopefully they can start feeling good about themselves. I know no one's starting to look at the standings, um, you know, as, as how they can creep back into this playoff race, but at least they have some positive vibes um, coming off that road trip. Yeah. I think you make a good point about the uh, winning the game five on five in Winnipeg. That's something I don't think has been the formula for this team, even when they've had some success this year. They've been reliant on uh, special teams. Like the Edmonton game, you could you could kind of give uh, special teams an edge as to, to the reason, you know, why they got off to such a great start. Um, and then you, you also mentioned kind of the uh, the inconsistent play where that there's a stretch of time, whether it's the second period in Edmonton or – you know, a gap of six to eight minutes in this period or that period. And what really I take away from that is how reliant they are on Marc-Andre Fleury. And it's, um, look, you're not going to have success in this league unless you have good goaltending. But like right now with where the Hawks are at, they're, you know, they're out of the playoff picture. I can't imagine where they would be without him. And I forecasting next year, if Fleury is not in the fold, like that's going to be a huge void. Like they're going to take two steps back in all likelihood uh, in net. If, if flurry isn't, isn't their number one net minder and it's only going to make, you know, winning even that much more difficult for this team. Yeah. And it's funny because we've kind of had similar conversations when Corey Crawford was the, the goaltender for the Blackhawks. And I was like, man, where would this team be without Corey Crawford? And then he retires and it kind of like, kicks the can down the road um, because then, you know, they have a little bit of an emergence from, from Kevin Lincoln in that, in that one year, but even rewinding back to that, they, they pair a Corey Crawford with a Robin Leonard. And then after this, this previous season, they go out and get a Mark Andre Fleury. And now we're having the same conversation. Like, 
Where would they be without Robin Leonard? Where would they be without Corey Crawford? Where would they be without Marc-Andre Fleury? So they've been so reliant on the goaltending over these last several years. And they've kind of, they've had to, to be reliant on the goaltending because the, the roster hasn't been built for postseason success yet, right? They've been in that transition period where, you know, they, they win multiple Stanley Cups over a six-year span. And then they kind of go through this transition period where they need the goaltenders to kind of stand on their head to stay above water and stay in these games. But you hope, you know, I guess the Blackhawks are probably hoping that the trend was going to turn this season where they go out and get Seth Jones and they um, they get a Jake McCabe and they add all these pieces um, to try to build the roster so that they aren't very reliant or, you know, just goaltending or die, right? Like it just seems like it's it, the, the, a lot of the results are dependent on what the goaltending does. And you can probably say that for a lot of NHL teams, but the, the Blackhawks especially are reliant on their goaltending. So, yeah, I have no idea where they would be um, without Marc-Andre Fleury because he is the sole reason why this Blackhawks team has, has really had a drastic improvement since interim head coach Derek King took over. And all that being said, they're nowhere near the playoffs. So it's right. like here we are praising Flurry, and rightfully so. He was the number one star in Winnipeg, and he's been the number one star probably, you know, seventy percent of the time of, of in their victories. That being said, <clears throat> excuse me, um, if they don't have him back next year, uh, and they don't have a suitable replacement for him as far as, you know, uh, similar skill set and production, wow, like, uh, you know, you're even further back than you thought. So, like, he's almost masking a little. And we already know this team has deficiencies, but, um, you know, it, it's really something that, you know, as you approach this trade deadline, when you and we're going to get into that coming up here, but when you hear about some of the prospects that are coming back or being mentioned in trade rumors, they should really be looking at goaltending and, and try to get a few more goalies, a couple more goalies in the pipeline uh, because th this, you know, the Leonard Crawford flurry, you know, 36, 37, you know, the, the, the those ages that, that we've looked at over the last few years, that's not sustainable. So they need to find the, they need to find the next Corey Crawford or Mark Andre Fleury, but they need to find find him in his twenties. Right, no question. I, I think that's the awkward part about the the current Blackhawks situation because they they probably thought they were going to take the next step this season, and they they thought maybe they were on the upswing, but they they find themselves in this situation where they're they're like trying to bridge the gap between finding, you know, Corey Crawford's replacement, right? And they go out and draft a Drew Camesso in the second round, but he's obviously not going to be here for, you know, probably a couple more years as a full-time starter. And that's if he pans out to, to be, which so far everything looks good with his development, but it's not like, um, you know, goaltenders are different where they need, they need time to develop. So you need to kind of draft the replacement a couple years ahead of time, you know, so, and, and they, they drafted uh, Drew Camesso right when Corey Crawford, um, you know, left. So it, it was kind of this awkward time right now where, where now Mark andre Fleury, who knows what the future holds for him and if he's going to even be around the next, um, you know, after the trade deadline, but probably not next year. So they, they have to start, um, you know, I, I don't know how you go about this offseason because maybe they like what they see in, in Drew Camesso and he can be the goaltender of the future, but you you have to find this patchwork of a potential replacement for the short term so that the the this current Blackhawks team can stay above water if trending in the upward direction is part of the goal. If it's not, if you feel like you can you want to take a step back, then you know, maybe they lean more heavily on Kevin Lincoln and and, and some of these younger goaltenders to to see what they have in them. Um, you know, but but who knows what's going to happen in the future? One of the bright spots the last few weeks has been the play of Dylan Strom. Uh, he's got 14 points, I believe, now in his last 14 games. Uh, prior to the Winnipeg game, he had career best production at the dot. I think he was around 55%. You know, he's 24, he's a restricted free agent at the end of the season. His AAV this year is three million. We saw Patrick Kane go to bat for him over the weekend, basically saying, you know, you, you put him in a top six role, you put him on the top power play, this guy produces. That's just fact. 
Um, the, the question for me is this. How do you slot Strom when Taves returns? And does that mean Doc goes to wing? And what happens if Reichel is full-time next year? Uh, what, what does that mean? You know, if Strom is, you know, if you're saying that, you know, his skill set produces when he's in basically a top six role, do you have a top six center slot open for him for the foreseeable future? Yeah, that that's a difficult question because right now on this Blackhawks team, like they can afford to give him top six minutes in first power play unit, right? But you know, Pat, we like to have the conversations like where would he slot into to one of the three Stanley Cup teams for the Blackhawks? And, you know, he, he's probably not a top six guy. But, you know, at the same time, he's he's successful when he's in that top six role because he gets confidence when he's playing a lot of minutes or he's particularly when he's playing the, the first power play unit and he's playing a majority of it because that's where he gets a lot of his confidence. Whereas, you know, we've talked about this in the past where if Dylan Strome is playing in the third line role and he's not getting a lot of even strength time and he's maybe on your second power play unit then i mean then that he's not really gaining any confidence there right because he's getting little ice time and and a lot of his confidence comes with playing with offensively skilled players and and getting that power play time so it's difficult because the the blackhawks right now are are in a position where they can't they can give him that ice time but when they want to take the next step and become perennial postseason contenders again where does he slot in? Like, is he going to move down in the lineup when, like you said, a guy like Lucas Reichel comes up and, you know, if Kirby Doc takes that next step, you know, if if he's, if the Blackhawks feel that he's a, a centerman um, in the long term, because obviously Derek King mentioned that they, they could be potentially exploring the idea of moving Kirby to the wing. And even in the game against Winnipeg, Pat, I think Kirby only took like three faceoffs. So like they're, they're starting to, scale his face-offs back a little bit because they're recognizing like it's just not improving in that department so I guess all the pieces and then you factor in Jonathan Taves and what his future is like they have so many centermen that you have to try to figure out where to place that like clearly um, I'm not here to say that they should or shouldn't trade Dylan Strom I I just think when you're kind of pinpointing and and you're you got the the sharpies out and you're looking at the the marker board how is everyone going to slot in on this Blackhawks team moving forward because Dylan Strom is a guy that needs that top six power, top six minutes, power play time. But if the Blackhawks can't promise him that, or if they feel like he's going to get squeezed out of that role in Chicago, that's when you obviously have to explore, um, you know, if you want to potentially move him. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, you know, both of us are fans of Dylan. We like yeah. what we've, uh, you know, we, we, that production we saw when he was first acquired from Arizona was fantastic. We saw him go through the confidence issues a couple of years ago when, you know, they took him off center and moved him to wing. And he goes, like, I guess I'm not a center anymore. And I remember that you and I looking at each other and, and feeling the awkward feeling that he had, you know, and you could just see, you could see the confidence being, you know, zapped from him. And it, it's probably not unlike what, what could happen to Kirby here because that, that question was posed to Derek King uh, before the game in Winnipeg, and he said, "Yeah, you know, they're they're having discussions, or they have had discussions about moving Kirby to to wing." Um, and then, and we know the the confidence issues he's gone through, and you know that moving him to wing that would really that would usurp uh, some of the confidence that he has, and and the pressure that he feels as the number three overall pick. So you got a lot of moving parts. I guess the thing I'd say with Strom is it almost like you need the perfect scenario for him to fit into your lineup. And this team doesn't have the luxury of perfect scenarios right now. You know, they, they like a guy like Hagel who can move up and down the lineup and, and, and it's fair using that, you know, where would Hagel fit on a championship team? Where would Strom fit? I, I do think those are good questions to have. So I guess what I'm saying is with Strom's production, uh, and with almost like the perfect situation that needs to be in place for him to blossom, I would strongly consider, you know, moving him uh, at the trade deadline because I, I would, I want a little more versatility. And um, right now with this current lineup, I, I don't have that luxury. 
Yeah, I, I think he's not he's not going to drive your line like as a possession player, but he's definitely a really good complimentary piece. And I think you could get away with him potentially playing top six minutes on a contending team if you had, you know, like you said, the right pieces in place. Like if if DeBrinken and Kane are playing together, like I think back, we we talk about this all the time about Patrick Kane and Artemi Panarin, like who who is the perfect centerman. And like Art, Artem and Isamov play that role beautifully. And the Blackhawks were kind of able to get away from from putting him in that top line role because Kane and Panarin were so good with each other. So like maybe you're able to balance out the depth of your lineup if the Blackhawks in the future get much deeper um, on all four lines where maybe you have three solid lines and having a guy like Dylan Strom playing with DeBrinken and Kane allows you to mix and match. But I, I tend to agree that... If you're if you're looking at like okay who who are our six best forwards, Dylan's probably not going to slot into that role. He like he needs pieces around him to really thrive. So um, earlier in the season, obviously his Dylan's name came up in trade rumors, and it just wouldn't have made sense for the Blackhawks to even explore a potential trade for him because his value was so low. Like he he wasn't getting ice time. He he was you know at one point he was playing on the fourth line, and and it, it just no but no team especially given today's financial climate was going to take a, a flyer on that kind of player but now that his offensive numbers have really spiked over these last few weeks here and he's playing on the first power play and top line maybe there is a team that was like okay you know what we can take that player but we're going to need the Blackhawks to retain salary or, or something like that so I guess it's a long-winded answer of saying I, I'm not for or against trading him I think it depends on what the package is uh, coming back in return like if someone if a team comes to you and says hey we'll give you you know this 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 and you're like well, that's more than we expected like then then sure you obviously have to explore it if, if you don't think he's part of your long-term plan and i agree with you on that and that, that moves us to our next topic and it works perfectly that uh, frank saravalli reporting this past week and we've we've kind of heard this about brandon hagel for a couple of weeks now that uh, there's been you know interest around the league and that there was a first-round pick offered and a high-end prospect uh, for Hagel, and the Blackhawks turned that down. Um, your thoughts just first at first blush when you hear that report? Yeah, well, you and I obviously had had heard behind the scenes that the Blackhawks' asking price for Brandon Hagel was pretty high, and we were you know kind of like, well – are they setting that that market up for the rest of the teams or do they really feel like that's a you know that that's the price for Brandon Hagel and i think there's there's one big thing that we have to mention because if we're just talking about Brandon Hagel the player like a first round pick and a prospect is obviously you know that feels like a lot for for that kind of player but the reason and i i i don't blame the blackhawks for for really setting the bar high here is because if you go look at cap friendly Pat, and you look at some of the playoff contenders, whether it's in the East or the Western Conference, there are like 20 teams that have fewer than $1 million in cap space. Brandon Hagel's cap hit is 1.5 for the next three seasons. And he's a guy you can put anywhere in your lineup and he'll thrive, right? Like if you're a contending team, you can put him on your first line if you have an injury, you know, to um, a potential winger and you can feel good about him playing in, in a first line role and then moving him back to maybe a middle six role. And so, Cap space is a luxury right now, and teams that could potentially get a top six forward, more likely a middle six forward on a contending team, for $1.5 million over the next three seasons, uh, yeah, the price should be really high. Like if we're talking Brandon Hagel, uh, if he's making $5 million a year, there's probably not even a market for him, right? But the fact that his cap hit is so attractive is making the price so high. So I think that we have to put that into perspective. It's not necessarily Brandon Hagel, the player. It's Brandon Hagel, the player, plus his incredible value over the next three years. Yeah, all great points. So, we, we again, we're both fans of Brandon Hagel. Um, we're also looking at the long-term picture and the short-term picture with, with Hagel in it. As you mentioned, a 1.5 cap hit, very attractive, 23 years of age, um, can play up and down, uh, ideally, on a championship team. He's a he's a bottom six he's a bottom six forward right yeah I think he's a third line guy that if there's an injury in your top six he can play there for however however long and then you move him back to I would say third line I don't third I, yeah, I, yeah. Th third I, line I, is good 
I agree. Third line, third line winger with the ability to move up depending on injury or production, you could move them around. So very attractive to any team that's trying to make a run. Um, I guess it would come down to me. And again, there's so many moving parts here. Cause like every time I hear number one pick, I'm like, well, gosh, that, that seems like very, like if someone said to me at the beginning of the season, you're going to get offered a first round pick and a high end prospect for Brandon Hagel. I'd be like, wow, you got to take that. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I hear what you're saying. I mean, it all comes down to who is that, that, that high end prospect. Also, we talk about the lack of depth in this draft. I don't know if that's because COVID affected the scouting and, and, you know, we had, uh, players sticking in college longer than normal and, and leagues that, you know, weren't able to play full slates. I don't know how all that has impacted, you know, where everybody evaluates this draft class, but by and large, the experts say this isn't a great draft. So is a first round pick worth what it usually is worth because this is a diluted draft or are you trying to get a number one pick for next year's draft. So like there's so many moving parts here. Um, but if you're looking to jumpstart this, this rebuild and you can get multiple picks, if you could get a one and a conditional third or second, a pro a high end prospect, if you, if you could start saying to yourself, I'm gathering pieces that could turn into two players for one uh, in a, as we've discussed, a a talent-stricken organization, top to bottom, um, I I have to really look at that, and and uh, I have to start making deals now for the future, and say to myself, and again, I'm putting a lot on how I do in the draft and how I'm my scouting is, and there's a lot of moving parts here, but like I don't look at. I don't look at Brandon Hagel as, you know, he's not going to be the the reason you win a cup. He's going to be a complimentary piece. And um, if I can get two or possibly three pieces to add to my organization, I have to give that a really good hard look. Yeah, and and you make a good point. And and part of the other equation too, not just the fact that this might not be a deep draft, so a first round pick might not carry as much weight as it might have in previous drafts, but but the Blackhawks also have they also have to hit on that pick, right? Like right. and they and they they have and and obviously we we talk about a first round pick. That is probably if Brandon Hagel does get traded, like that that team is probably going to be a team that might be in the final four. So like now we're looking at a 28, 29, 30 potential first round pick, like overall. And now you're like, all right, well, that's basically the end of the end of the first round. And, and the Blackhawks got a guy like Nolan Allen last year um, when they traded obviously with Columbus for in the set Jones trade, that was Tampa's. And so, you know, now you're looking at very end of the first round and it's like the percentage of, of hitting on that pick just declined. So I think, I would be more inclined to to move a player like that, um, you know, if, if the draft pick came next season where there's a chance that it could be in the, you know, sort of in the middle range. Um, and I think, Pat, th this too is, this is tough because this is, this is a trade where I know Kyle Davidson as the interim general manager has full autonomy, um, you know, according to Danny Wirtz and the ownership group. But this seems like if, if they wanted to go down this avenue, like this seems like a larger um, like a larger trade, not, you know, we're talking about guys like Dylan Strom and Dominic Kubelik, like those guys, Marc-Andre Fleury, those are like short-term pieces that are obviously if you get trade offers for them that blow your socks away, you're going to make that move. But like a guy like Brandon Hagel, you know, if you move a guy like that, then you're basically sending the message like we're, we're going to the avenue of, of a potential rebuild as opposed to a retool, right? So I think that's why you got, you have to get the GM in order first to before you make a, a, a trade of this magnitude because th this is the kind of deal that would impact years to come not just this season yeah and um you also wonder how these rumors are going to affect some of these young guys like you know brandon had a tough game in st louis as a lot of players did and 
you know, these guys are human beings. They, they hear, you know, from their agents, they hear from their friends. Um, when something gets reported on 32 thoughts or, you know, hockey night in Canada or what have you, um, and their name is attached to it, they're going to find out about it. And, you know, it, it's got to be difficult. And, you know, we, we've still got a, a full month before the trade deadline, March 21st. And I, I, I think it's going to be hard for some of these young guys to uh, to execute on the ice when at times they're hearing their names being mentioned as uh, possible trade bait. Yeah, and especially given this Blackhawks roster where there are, there are several young players that could find their name in the rumor mill. It's not just one or two, right? So it, it could be difficult for for those guys. But I, I think you know just just seeing how the last few years have operated and just look at the off season, uh, how many moves the Blackhawks made. I think they're, they're starting to realize like that this is obviously a business, but yeah, I, I totally agree. Maybe, maybe um, you have it in your mind that you're going to be here long-term and then things change and, and you're wondering where your, where your standing is with the team. And, and that's just like for, for like Brandon Hagel specifically, like the, the, I think part of the reason why his name is in the trade rumor mill is because he's such an attractive piece. It's not the, the fact that the Blackhawks want to move him, right? Like right, he's, right. he's the guy that you look at uh, the Blackhawk roster. Like I was talking to a, uh, the, the last home game before, before the break, I was talking to an Eastern conference scout and I was like, does anyone, does anyone jump out at you on, on this Blackhawks roster? And he's like, there's one guy I would report back to our team that say, we got to get this guy. And it, it was Brandon Hagel. Like that's the one, that's the one guy that's a, a very attractive piece on this Blackhawks roster, both for, what he bring, what he provides on the ice, but also his his value financially. So that's why, um, you know, we don't want to kind of spread it out there that the Blackhawks are actively trying to move a guy like that. It's just he's a very attractive piece, and that's why his name might be out there when the trade deadline gets closer. Since the Hawks were in uh, Winnipeg on uh, Monday night, and their their previous time was was November fifth, which was the the last game that uh, Jeremy Carlton coached. And of course, the changes were were made behind the bench. Uh, we we looked into it on the pregame show. You dug up some some great numbers, kind of uh, before the coaching change and after areas where they've improved and, and areas where they've slid a little. Um, as, as we look at it, you know, points percentage uh, under Colleton, they were thirty first. Obviously, that one nine and two mark uh, was was extremely disappointing. Under Derek King, their 20th, winning at a 514 clip. Better, but certainly still not a playoff team. Uh, five on five goal differential. They were 32nd uh, back on November 6th, minus 25. And since then, they are, are minus six. So again, they have uh, dug themselves out of a hole a bit, but uh, that hole was, was a, a huge chasm. Uh, you look at five-on-five five scoring chances against per 60. Uh, they went from 27th to 17th. Five-on-five five save percentage, that's where you see a huge turnaround. They were last in the league at 8.73. And uh, going into the Winnipeg game on Monday night, they were uh, third in the league at 9.29. So, uh, And a lot can be said. Improved play in net, better defensive structure, more emphasis to limiting high danger chances, uh, protecting the house better. So a lot can go into that, but uh, that's been the dramatic turnaround, right? The, the, the save percentage five on five. Yeah, for sure. And, and even when Jeremy Carlton was here too, like after, after he got relieved of his duties, the, the Blackhawks were actually one of the best teams in high danger chances against, which was at five on five, which was crazy to think about because, Literally over the last three years, each of the last three years, the Blackhawks ranked dead last in high danger chances against per 60. And then they just suddenly turned it around where they became a top five team in that department. And that kind of stayed consistent throughout the Jeremy Carlton and the Derek King um, transition. Um, and But the one thing is the save percentage, right? Like eight, it goes, you go from 873 to 929. Like that is night and day. And I, I don't know what to draw that up to. Like, obviously, if the Blackhawks had better save percentage under Jeremy Colleton, like the Blackhawks clearly would not have been one nine and two over those first twelve games. But I wonder how much of the the save percentage was 
because of the demoralizing uh, attitude or not attitude, but like it, it just felt like every time there was a goal against, like everybody's shoulders would droop, as Derek right. King would say under James. So like maybe it just had a, a residual effect on the entire roster. Like when w- there was one goal against, like maybe the goaltenders felt it too. And maybe that's why the goaltending or the save percentage was pretty low. And and you also have to factor in the fact that Marc-Andre Fleury was – you know, transitioning to a new team and he was coming from Vegas that was very well structured. And so Flurry was kind of seeing shots at from, from different places that he wasn't used to seeing like high quality, right? Like Vegas was really good at like limiting the high quality scoring chances, but also the shots, like the, the quantity of them. And when he gets to Chicago, you know, he's coming to a team that ha- gives up a lot of shots and a lot of high quality shots. So it's, so it's very, so it's very different. Um, and uh, and I also want to mention to um, the, the the points percentage, obviously under under Derek King. Like, if if the Blackhawks continued this pace under Derek King, like the Blackhawks would be right there in the thick of it in in the in the playoff race. And so I think that's it. Kind of gets lost where, yeah, the the, the Blackhawks had such a, a terrible start that they're they're cli- they're trying to like climb a, a huge uphill battle right now to get back into the playoff race. And and I think if you look at the points percentage over Derek, the, the Derek King era, like that's probably where we thought the Blackhawks were going to be at the start of the season. The problem is the, the start was so bad that it's just, it just seems nearly impossible to kind of get back to that point. And back to your, you know, save percentage. I, I think it's a combination effect, but I do think the lack of defensive structure and the the quality of chances of the opposition really hurt the you know certainly flurry out of the gates and then th- you compound that with a team that struggles to score and like you said down two felt like down five and that's yep. really it speaks to the the last time they were in Winnipeg right when they were down by a couple goals um as as Derek King said, watching the game from Rockford, it looked like a fragile team. They were a very fragile team. You had Mark Andre Fleury getting pulled in in Pittsburgh. Um, you felt embar- You know, you felt bad for him. Uh, it was it was just uh, just an awful start, and uh, it, you know, it obviously has had its effect on this team. You know, for several months because they they're not able to climb out of that huge hole that they dug. As for you know, since the change, some areas that they've taken a step back in power play under Colleton, they were at 22.2%, which was 13th in the league. Entering the Winnipeg game last night, they were 19.2, 18th. So not horrible, but, uh, you know, middle of the pack type. It's the penalty kill where. They were fifth in the league at 87%, a little over 87. Now they're last in the league at 69%. And that's with good goaltending, as we've mentioned. Um, I, that That's the head scratcher for me. That That is yeah. a huge drop off from 87.5 kill rate to, to 69%. Yeah, that makes no sense to me, given the fact that we just mentioned the five-on-five save percentage is 929 uh, since November 6th, which is third in the NHL over that span. And then you look at the penalty kill, and it's 69.3%, which is 32nd. That's dead last. And so you would think, you know, again, not blaming the goaltenders for this, but if you're getting that terrific goaltending at five-on-five, typically that spills over into the special teams game where the goalie can be – well, can kind of mask some of the flaws in, in front of them. And it's weird too, Pat, because when when the Blackhawks had a successful when they were ranked fifth under Jeremy Carlton in those first twelve games, like structurally they were really good. Like you look at the metrics, and they they weren't giving up a ton of scoring chances. They weren't giving up a, a lot of high quality scoring chances. Like they were they were towards the you know towards the top of the league um, as far as limiting those chances at on the penalty kill. So it's not like the the Blackhawks were were riding uh, a high save percentage when Jeremy Carlton was the you know the head coach and then it, that just completely changed when Derek King took over so it's a really bizarre discrepancy um and then the the one the one that just has been a consistent um this is the reason why the Blackhawks are, are not in the playoff picture uh right now even if it was projected over the course of Derek King's tenure here is the five on five expected goals for it's one it was 1.82 
under Jeremy Carlton, which was 32nd in the league, dead last. And under Derek King, it's it's 2.12, which is 29th. So like there's still, you know, we talk about the Blackhawks going over the last three seasons prior to this one, they were dead last and high danger chances against uh, per 60 at five on five. And then, you know, this year, they're one of the best teams at limiting the, those high danger chances. You're like, well, how, how are they not? Like, if you told me that, Pat, at the beginning of the season, the Blackhawks were going to be top five and high danger chances against, I would have said the Black the Blackhawks are making the playoffs, like no question. Right. And so it's just really bizarre that they have been one of the worst offensive teams from start to finish. And, you know, obviously the power play has, has struggled too when we thought that was going to be a, a strong suit of this uh, of this team. It's just really bizarre how that has not uh, gotten going at all because you look at that roster, it should be so much better than it is right now of scoring goals. No question. And you've had a guy in, in Alex DeBrinkett who's among the league leaders in power play goals, you know? So, like, they're, they're even getting – production high-end production and 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 still it it hasn't uh translated overall to the unit hey let's let's run down the gm candidates we know of six that have already interviewed with uh, danny wirtz and jamie faulkner and uh let's go through them obviously the the interim general manager kyle davidson he's the lone in-house candidate done a nice job so far uh, pulling the trigger week two uh, with the coaching change, taking Brookbank and Mattel off the, the bench as well with Colleton. And, uh, you, you know, your thoughts on – we're big fans of what we've seen and heard from Kyle thus far. Yeah, he, Davidson is very well-respected inside the organization and his rise within the, the ranks of the franchise is, is an admirable story. I think the one thing that I appreciate about him is that he's taken a very realistic approach to the current state of the Blackhawks. And he's, he's not married to any of these past decisions that have come from the old regime. Like he, he's, he, he very um, clearly recognizes that the Blackhawks are, are probably still a few um, pieces or years away, however you want to look at it from being perennial contenders. So he's not going to try to do, make any rash short-term decisions to, to try to, you know, it's going to hinder the long term just to try to salvage the short term. So I think that's what I appreciate um, about him. And I think I think he went he probably went into this process as the front runner to get the full time gig. But obviously, when you start interviewing external candidates, it kind of opens up your eyes to to the different perspectives. So I'm curious to see, you know, how how that how that process has maybe changed in Danny and Jamie's eyes and whether he still potentially is the front runner for this gig, because there are still some interviews to be done. It sounds like. And and it's so bizarre. There's a month to the trade deadline. So he's trying to go about doing his duties as interim general manager, which means fielding calls on Brandon Hagel and Dylan Strom and, and Mark Andre Fleury. And yet he's still, you know, in a competition to, to get the, the general manager's position. So it, it's, it's gotta be a, a little bit of a bizarre world for him, but um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how it all plays out. Eric Tulski is also on the list. He's been with the hurricanes for, I think eight seasons now, uh, a couple as the assistant general manager, you look at his uh, resume and it's, uh, it's extremely impressive. PhD uh, went to Harvard. Um, he is a, he's an analytics guru. Yeah, that's his background, analytics. And it's probably no coincidence that when Carolina brought him in and they started to give him a bigger role that their roster started to, you know, kind of turn for the better. Now, I don't want to give him, you know, all the credit in the world because there are a lot of people behind the scenes that put together that roster. But he was he's a very bright uh, mind and he, he knows you know, I, I really do believe it's only a matter of time before he is a full-time GM uh, at the NHL level. Um, and I know he doesn't have a ton of experience in that department, but he he was one of those guys that you would read, you would read his stuff like years ago before Carolina hired him because he was so analytic, like he was an innovator in analytics. And so he was part of the media where you would read his stuff and then a team obviously pouched him to, to be one of, and the fact that he's risen to assistant general manager since then like that obviously goes to show that he's a bright hockey mind who's who's very respected inside the hockey community 
And they've built a really nice team in Carolina. Like, I yeah. really I really like what they've done in a smaller market. So, a lot to be said for, you know, him being in the fray for eight years and that over those those eight years, this this organization has been considered, you know, a, a, a really solid, well-put-together group. Uh, now we look at some of the, the, the more veteran uh, candidates, Scott Mellenby, who uh, was in Montreal recently under Mark Bergevin, uh, Peter Shirelli, of course, you know, well-documented in Edmonton and Boston. He uh, is currently vice president of hockey ops in St. Louis. You certainly can run down a laundry list of, uh, you know, questionable moves. The biggest probably sending Taylor Hall uh, to the Devils for for Adam Larson. So, um he also helped the Blackhawks get Drake Kajua for Brandon Brandon Manning. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Brandon Manning, who uh, who who caused an injury to Connor McDavid, uh, <laughs> broke his collarbone. His broke his year. collarbone. I don't know why they would have ever thought to. Well, anyways, uh, we digress. But your thoughts on just the the two veteran candidates, Mellon B and Shirelli? Yeah, I think they're they're. Obviously, the Blackhawks are casting a wide net as far as who they're interviewing. Um, and we'll obviously get to the one that they interviewed outside of the hockey background. But the fact that you want to bring in some guys, some some young, fresh perspectives with the analytical backgrounds. But you also want to do your due diligence by bringing in some some experienced guys like Scott Mellenby and Peter Shirelli. Obviously, Peter Shirelli, I'm not even going to go down there because his resume is well documented. But I kind of lumped Scott Mellenby's name into the experience category as well. Even though he has not been a GM uh, at the NHL level, he's been around the game literally his entire life as a player. He, I believe he was a, a special consultant to the GM in Vancouver for a few years. Then he was an assistant coach in St. Louis. And then he's obviously been or he obviously had been part of the Montreal uh, Canadians organization for the last nine years and seven of those as the assistant GM. So he's got enough background where he you know, if he did get this position, it, it would have been, you know, the reaction is probably finally, like he deserved a job a while ago and it's good that he's finally getting this opportunity. So you want to bring in those experienced guys and especially Pat too, obviously everything that's going on off the ice as well with the Blackhawks wanting to kind of rebuild that, that trust with the fan base. Like maybe they are toying with the possibility that it might make more sense to bring in a, an experienced guy to kind of handle all this stuff and, and make sure that they are, um, you know, rebuilding that trust with the fan base. So that might be part of the equation, but I still think, you know, the the grand scheme of things, they do like the Blackhawks do like the, the the guys that have the analytical background and they're innovative thinkers. So we'll see which direction that they go in. Their out of the box candidate is Jeff Greenberg uh, from the the Cubs, uh, assistant general manager on the north side. As you kind of pointed out in in one of the pieces you wrote, he's like. Uh, baseball version of Kyle Davidson you know uh, he's been uh, we started as an intern with the Cubs in 2012 and has risen to the position he's in now I like what Danny said to Cap uh, a week or so ago you know to me this is more about a fact-finding mission I I find it hard if you're going to have one sole voice on the hockey ops side um, that you know they don't have any hockey ops experience that it's all in baseball Uh, but I do think you can learn about how they go about player evaluation or putting together their 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 scouting department and their player development department so to me you know this might have been more of a fact-finding mission to to see how other successful organizations have uh, rebuilt their their structure on in this case baseball ops side and how that could translate to the hockey ops side yeah I, I like what he said about we want to turn over every rock right and i think it makes sense to do this as well because because of jamie faulkner's connection to the chicago blackhawks obviously her husband colin works there um and the, the chicago cubs are obviously coming off a run where they built a, a pretty successful front office structure that helped them snap a, an 108 year curse of winning the world series. So the fact that you want to bring in, like they reportedly brought in Jed Hoyer to be a little consultant um, to, to kind of over, you know, oversee the internal evaluation process. And and we also saw it too. when they bring in a guy like Mike Ford of sportsology, 
you know, different background where he was more of like a soccer guy, but he had dipped into the NBA as well. And he was kind of dubbed the, the NBA's, um, you know, GM finder or whatever his nickname was. So they're, they're trying to like get a bunch of different perspectives and then they're going to kind of make their decision. Now, whether they go that direction remains to be seen, but I don't, I don't think it hurts to kind of get a different perspective and get, um, you know, some different ideas as you kind of piece together who you want to be your full-time GM. So I don't, I don't, I really don't mind this, even though it did come across as a little bizarre that they, you know, they sent out that tweet saying like, we interviewed the assistant GM for the Chicago Cubs. And so, um, you know, I, I don't, I honestly don't mind it at all. The last candidate that we know of is Matthew Darsh. He's a director of hockey ops with Tampa Bay. Uh, underneath uh, Julian Brisebois, our colleague Kaylee Chelios. Uh, I think she said she, her uh, her cubicle is right next to Darsh's uh, while she was down in Tampa. So, you know, he's a former player. I don't think he's been with the organization that long. I think 2019-ish. Yep, 2019. So kind of when the, uh, when the transition was made uh, uh, post-Steve Eiserman leaving to go to Detroit, uh, he was uh, he ri- he rose into a, a different position under Brisbois. Uh, do, what what do you know about him? Yeah, I think this is the candidate that it would be a pretty significant jump from his current position to the GM title because right now he's the director of hockey operations. You know, I know he you know his his bio on the on a on the Tampa Bay page said he he assists in all aspects of player personnel decisions, analytics, player development, contract negotiation, and prep. So he's obviously got his hands on on a lot of things, and maybe he has been the right hand man to to Julian Breezebaugh for for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And so I think it would just be foolish not to look under that hood, especially coming from an organization that has been you know the model franchise over the last several years and winning back to back Stanley Cups. Um, so. And then obviously Darsh was uh, in the running for the GM positions in Montreal and Vancouver. So the fact that his name is being thrown around in all these different other teams, you you obviously have to look under that hood as well saying, you know, is this guy going to be, you know, the potential next, um, you know, the next wave of thinking. So he's, he's very well respected within the hockey community. So, um, and then, Last thing uh, before we wrap up, I think Elliot Friedman mentioned on his 32 thoughts on Monday that it sounds like the Blackhawks are going to interview at least one more candidate, potentially two. Um, so the the current list is at six right now, but that could expand. So it doesn't sound like they are um, getting close to finalizing a decision, um, but it seems like you know after they kind of do all those interviews, then they'll kind of narrow down the list. All right, that's a wrap on uh, Wait, Pat, one more thing. favorite pot. Whoa, 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 what do you got? What do you got? I got one more thing. This, this, I don't want to say this broke while we were doing the podcast, but the, the tweet came up on my timeline as we were recording. Robin Leonard has an upper body injury in Vegas, and Frank Saravalli, who we should probably get on the podcast uh, <laughs> for how, as much as we reference him, said the Vegas Golden Knights have expressed interest in potentially bringing Flurry back to Vegas if wow. this is a long term injury. So, this is that would obviously be a no brainer, um, you know, if it is a longer term injury for Leonard and Flurry, if the Blackhawks are out of it. Well, how would they fit? Because to get Eichel on the ice, they, they had, had to put Mark Stone on LTIR, and it's it was very controversial because the like Jack Eichel was basically ready to return, and the Vegas Golden Knights were preparing to make several trades to clear the cap space, not just for Jack Eichel, but for Alec Martinez as well. They had to clear like 10.5 or $11 million in cap space. And then Mark Stone, which is a valid injury. He has a back injury. Uh, we missed 20 games earlier in the year. He got put on LTIR. So it cleared up like $9.5 million in cap space. So if Robin Leonard, you know, is put on LTIR as well, that opens up more cap space for, right. for Vegas. So anyway, wow, I wanted is, to mention it. That would be, well, that's a great, uh, Great catch on your part. Um, and it would make total sense because Flurry and his family love Vegas. Uh, the community loves him. Uh, it would uh, it would take the question of what it would be like over the next two months out of the because he's you know he's lived there for a few years and he knows what life is like and he knows how instrumental he was to it. Now, would he want to go there in this role? Like what? Depending on Leonard's status and with the way that went down, by that that that's <laughs> well, interesting drama. 
Well, it says, so Frank says here, GM Kelly McCrimmon indicate on Monday that Robin Leonard has an upper body injury, which sources say is a torn labrum in his shoulder that will eventually require surgery. Wow. So it obviously seems like a, a significant surgery for Leonard that if, you know, it doesn't get fixed you know, or healed or whatever over the course of the season, like maybe there is a chance that Flurry could become the one. I guess, you know, for my... Yeah, Fleury would want to go back. <laughs> I'm not saying like well because there obviously was that drama with, with Pete DeBoer in the playoffs, and so you wonder if that there's that trust factor there. But I think it would be a no brainer uh, for both sides if they if it eventually got to that point where the Blackhawks were looking to to potentially move him. Um, Vegas would obviously make sense. All right. Well, let me let me just because I I'm looking at the Vegas Golden Knights draft equity. They don't have a first rounder in 2022. They they lost their third rounder and their fourth rounder. They have New York Rangers third round pick uh, in this upcoming draft. So they don't have a second rounder for the following year. Um, boy. So that, you know, they're uh, I'm looking at their prospect pool. I think they have Brennan Brisson, who is the, the son Pat, Pat of Pat. Yep. And who's a, a really yeah. good player and he's at Michigan, right? Yep. That is correct. And he's, he was obviously, I think at the beginning of the Jack, Jack Eichel Buffalo trade rumors, there were there were like, I, there were like preliminary discussion. I don't even know if this was this was like legit or not, but there was a possibility that Brendan Brisson could have been traded to Buffalo because Brendan Brisson plays with Owen Power at Michigan, and so you know potentially teaming them up. But obviously that didn't happen. So you know, is Chicago a team that? Because very clearly, Pat, like Vegas doesn't have draft capital. So like the only way this is happening is if the Blackhawks pouch a top prospect away from them. Wow. I mean, <laughs> Kyle Davidson's day just got a lot more interesting, didn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, it did. All right. So I think that's a wrap unless there's anything else on Twitter you would like to discuss. Let me scour, let me, let me scour the internet. Really, No, I'm kidding. We're, we're good. All right. So I was trying to wrap up. This is Kaylee Chelios's favorite podcast. At least that's what... <laughs> She lied to us and told us uh, last night on Blackhawks <laughs> Post Game Live. But for Charlie Romeliotis, I am Pat Boyle. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate us, and we'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.